Please join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we bow before you on this Sabbath day, we seek your face. We lay the burdens at your feet as we come before you on your Sabbath to focus entirely on you. We know that the teachings of your word are eternal and that they lead to everlasting life. May we never forget that. And may we always realize that it is the example that Yahshua set us, set us, that we would also reach many with the same mind and the same heart as Yahshua did as we seek to please you in all things in life. One day when he returns to be part of that kingdom that he will set up, we strive for that. We hope that we are pleasing to you and we need your strength to do your will each day as we continue on living for you and that we would one day be blessed. This prayer and petition we ask in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. Greetings one and all and welcome. You know that song we just sang, that refrain that says, break my heart for what breaks yours, I guess kind of sums up uh, my message today. To have the mind of Messiah, you know, we have an equal opportunity Savior. He wants all to come to the knowledge of truth. But his prerequisites are night and day different from what the world thinks he wants. What the world believes when it comes to salvation. Most think that when their life ends, they pass spontaneously into salvation. That's what you hear today over and over and over. And it's sad. They haven't a clue of the purpose that Yahshua brought to this earth in the life he led and the things he taught. Thousands of years of misinformation and deception have led to ignorance, apathy, fear, and for most an overwhelming lack of interest in doing anything about their salvation because they think they don't have to because they've never been shown the necessity And so this is what we are today in this world. In fact, just the converse, they have been taught that all you need is a simple declaration and the rest is taken care of for you. Eternity of bliss awaits you. You know, years ago I talked with a man who was interested in our message. And in the course of the conversation, I talked about qualifying for the kingdom. And he, oh, no, 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 we can't earn our salvation. Of course not. Of course we cannot earn our salvation. He was correct. But there's nothing that we do to guarantee everlasting life. In fact, we can fail in it. We can live a life of, as the scripture shows us, of doing his will all our life and at the end lose it. So what he had to understand is that, uh, yes, we have innate sin and that inhibits us unless we apply Yahshua's blood. Of course, we learned about that through the Passover that we just had. But he didn't really understand what qualifying means. You know, competitive racing and other contests have what they call qualifying trials. You go through these trials to show that you have the right stuff, that you meet a standard in order to be approved and right 
to compete in the real thing. You see, the rank incorrigibles of this world have already disqualified themselves. Yasha said the Pharisees have disqualified themselves. He said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs, you're not going to be in the kingdom. He said that Judas disqualified himself. He said it would be better if that man had not been born. So rather than aspire to the biblical standard, most just play the grace card. I'll just trust in his grace. Well, grace works if you have the right heart. You know, the kingdom does not include unrepentant sinners. In 1 Corinthians 6, we read, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. Pretty plain. I think anybody can understand that. The unrighteous are going to be in the kingdom. Then he lists all the sins that will preclude you and shut you out. Don't be deceived. Fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. Does that mean there's no hope for these people? There's no hope for them unless they repent. Then there's hope. He said, you are some of those, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Master Yahshua by the Spirit of our Elohim. So the Holy Spirit has to indwell you. It's that last part. How do you become justified and get sanctified? This is what the world doesn't seem to, to understand. Well, today's do nothing messages from plexiglass preachers with their portable lecterns and gospel light teachings is a relatively recent phenomenon. You know, your parents, my grandparents, my parents, uh, they, they lived in a different biblical world, you could say, than we have today. They understood, and they read the word and saw everything in it, and it's clear mandate to live by it, and they didn't argue with it. Obedience to a righteous standard is all over the scriptures. You can go from... Genesis through the end of Revelation, you see it everywhere. You see it in teachings. You see it in examples. You see in how Yahshua lived, those precepts of the word. You have to be totally ignorant, blind in both eyes, not to be able to see what the word says. Here's an excerpt from the Didache. I don't know if you ever read anything by the, in this, but uh, this was a manual for Christians before the year 300 CE, And some people thought it should have been in the scripture, but it didn't make it because it has some problems, some issues, for one thing. And Yahweh made sure it it didn't. The full title is The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. But it didn't make the official canon. Yet the following section I thought was great about preparing your life. And it shows New Testament mandates and how they looked at that back in the New Testament era. Early New Testament era. And found it so relevant for what we see today. Quote, be careful how you live. Do not let your lamp be quenched, nor your loins ungirded, but be ready, for you do not know the hour our master will come. Meet together frequently, pursuing what is good for your souls, for your whole time as a believer will come to nothing if you are found to be imperfect at the end time. In the last days, the false prophets and corruptors shall multiply, and the sheep will be turned into wolves, and love will be turned into hate. As lawlessness increases, they will persecute and betray and hate one another. 
And then the deceiver of the world will appear as the son of Yahweh, performing signs and wonders, and the earth will be delivered into his hands. He will do things more unholy than any since the beginning of the world. All of humanity shall come to the fire of testing, and many will fall and perish. But all who endure in their faith shall be saved from the curse. End quote. Now, this is obviously derived from Yahshua's prophecies and the prophecies we find in Scripture. And I can't see anything uh, misquoted or, or uh, you know, really wrong with what, the, what it says. But I think it speaks a lot to our culture today. I think if, as I read through, you probably thought of, yeah, isn't that the truth? We live in a culture with a fading moral standard. Let's face it, we know that. Where inclusiveness has taken over, where everybody's celebrating diversity, which is code for accepting everything, including bad behavior. Don't make judgments. Don't let anyone feel bad when they do wrong. Everyone's a winner, no matter what they do. Don't lessen their self-esteem if they fall short. Reward mediocrity. Live by the lowest common denominator. That's our world today, right? That's what they're teaching over and over and over in schools and in the culture. And their belief comes directly into a lack of any need for a biblical standard of behavior. That's where it comes from. That's what we see in the, in the Bible world today. It's borrowing from the culture, the philosophy and the teachings of the culture. The ultimate notion of living totally unrestrained because everything has been done for me. I have nothing of merit to do, merely confessing with my mouth and be saved by Yahshua the Messiah. So that even attempting to live a biblical standard for salvation is evil, it's dangerous, it's sinful, because if he's already done it for you, then you're trying to do it yourself. That's wrong, they say. Well, they got the premise wrong from the beginning. You have something to do. You have to rely not only on him, but then you have to make some changes. That's something that uh, you don't hear today because they don't even talk about sin, for one thing. Anything. Everything is upside down. You can play with the definitions all you want, but in the end, the word will come through. The word will win out. Oh, it's, it's, you know, it's an appealing notion for the carnal-minded to think this way. They love that. Nothing, no standard. You know, live the way I want. But in reality, it comes right out of the, bit, the pit of uh, Satan. You know, the biblical mandate is the complete converse of what I've been talking about. It says there is a way that must be followed. There is a way that Yahshua showed us. There is a reason we try, striving to be like Messiah, to have his mind. Well, anyway, to avoid any misunderstanding like the fellow I was talking about, today, when I mention about following scripture, I use the word worthy because I think it's a little more scriptural. At least it's used in scripture more, I should say. Worthy to be chosen. It teaches that I must do something to be acceptable, to be worthy, to found, be found worthy. Luke 20, 35. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Colossians 1, 10, that you might walk worthy of Messiah unto all pleasing, being fruitful of every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of Elohim. And when you increase in the knowledge of Elohim, you do more good work. It just follows. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul said that you would walk worthy of Elohim who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. And then he says in 2 Thessalonians 1.5, which is a manifest to- token of the righteous judgment of Elohim that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you also suffer. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, wherefore also we pray always for you that our Elohim would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Worthy applies not only to salvation. You can also be worthy of punishment. You might say a synonym for worthy is deserving. Worthy of either life or worthy of death. Romans 1.32, who knowing the judgment of Elohim, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So, get this. There's nothing you can do for salvation, they say, but there is something you can do to be worthy of death. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense at all? Let's dig a little deeper. You know, salvation begins with having the mind of Messiah, as Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of Yahweh that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Messiah. I want to get into exactly what that really means, having the mind of Messiah. It means to have the same outlook, the same understanding of truth, the same understanding of Yahweh, It means doing what he did, which is something you never hear today. You never hear them talk about Yahshua being obedient to his father through Sabbath keeping, through feast keeping. You'll never hear that. They just talk about his death. But they never talk about his life and what he did as an example so that we could have a mind of Messiah the same way. All believers have to strive for a higher level as they grow in the spirit. That's the whole idea. He gives us a down payment of the spirit and it grows within us. And then one day when it's fully mature, we are raised by Yahweh's spirit to everlasting life. And it doesn't come naturally. It's a lifelong quest. And it's not instantaneous either. We need help to develop the mind of Yahshua, and Yahweh gives it to us. He doesn't leave us without help. That comes through the endowment of the Holy Spirit. As for the Spirit grows within, we become more and more like Yahshua in our thinking and our attitude and in what we do, how we guide others, how we teach our children. 1 Corinthians 2.10, But Elohim has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. All things, yea, the deep things of Elohim. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Two different spirits going on here. Worldly spirit and Yahweh's spirit, the Holy Spirit. Holy and unholy spirit. Even so, the things of Elohim knows no man but the spirit of Elohim. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of Elohim that we might know the things that are freely given to us of Elohim. We understand, we finally see through 
the clutter. We see through the fog. We see through the cotton candy messages that don't really say anything. We see the truth of the word when we study it. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of Elohim, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's something that you're not going to know unless you're there with the Spirit. Paul says we are elevated into a spiritual sphere once we have that Spirit working within our, our minds and our hearts. We can see the futility of human desires and goals. We gain a perspective that shows how futile it is to be driven by natural pulls of this culture of sin. Achievements are just going to fade away anyway. People spend their entire lives getting things, 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 and accomplishing things, things, things. When it's all done, it fades away. You know, the natural, natural man lives for... Basically, three things. Possessions, pleasure, and power. These are the things that drive our world. Possessions, pleasure, and power. You can fit everything into those three things. They are what Satan tempted Yahshua with, if you think about it. Pleasure. You fasted for 40 days. You've got to be famished. You've got to be almost starved to death. Look, succulent bread out there just for the asking. Make these stones bread. Oh, man, the pleasure of eating such wonderful bread because I know you're famished. How about power? Demonstrate your superpowers for all to see. Throw yourself off this pinnacle and the angels will pull you up. You can show the power that you've got. Possessions. See all these kingdoms out here? All of these? They can all be yours if you just fall down and worship me. You don't have to go through all the trials, all the pain and suffering of dying and being scourged basically to death. You can short-circuit all that, and you can all be yours. Just worship me. Yahshua's answer to each temptation, scripture. Scripture, you can't go wrong. And when you quote scripture, nobody can argue with it. Man shall not live by bread alone. Don't tempt Yahweh. Worship and serve only Yahweh. Scripture is what Yahshua used. You know, it's kind of amazing that Satan would even try to tempt Yahshua. But... Listen, he tempted a third of the angels, and they went with him. Hey, it's worth a try. It won't cost me anything, Satan probably thought. Maybe I can convince him too. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be the ultimate? If I could get Yahshua on my side to go along with my unholy schemes. You know, this also teaches us some key truths. It teaches us that the evil one will never miss an opportunity if it's there. If you'll try it with Yahshua, you can be darn tootin' he'll try it with you too. It also teaches us he's relentless. He never gives up. He'll use every angle and every weakness 
that he sees in you. And he hits you at the weakest parts. All the time. We see it all the time. People get hit where they're most weak and vulnerable. He also knows our desires. He twisted Yahshua's goal to be king over the earth. Fall down, and these kingdoms are yours. You know, Yahshua never argued the point, did he? He never argued the point that the kingdom will be here on earth, did he? He didn't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for, for that. I'm going to heaven. That's where my kingdom's going to be. He never said that. He knew the kingdom is coming to this earth. Satan knew it, and Yahshua never argued about it. What he argued about was Satan's temptation. You know, he also hits us at our most vulnerable. Yahshua had been close to total starvation after 40 days. And, you know, you know your mind after that long a time? I don't know if you ever fasted, but I'll tell you what. You fast that long, I don't know how you can even think. Your, your brain just doesn't have... Of course, he had Yahweh's spirit, but uh, certainly he was physical too, and his brain had to have, you know, been lacking a little bit, trying to, you know, keep the body going. That's a long time to be without nourishment. Maybe his mind was not so sharp, Satan probably thought. Maybe I can use some persuasion. Each craving for possessions and power and pleasure is like a drug. The more you get, the more you want. Right? Every one of them. Every single one of them. You want possessions? You got possessions. You want more possessions. You got power. You want more. You have people up here at the legislature. They run for, you know, as long as they can in the, in the, in the, in the uh, state offices, in, uh, say, a state representative. Then what does he do? When that runs out, he runs for Senate. He wants more. When that runs out, maybe he'll run for governor. He wants more. Power, power, power. And, of course, pleasure. Look at the drug users. If these are your goal in life, you'll never have enough. It'll never end. You'll die unfulfilled. You know, it's, it's so sad to see the world in such a pointless treadmill. Sucking the life out of people, sucking their, their, their existence in such a wrong way, working so hard to go nowhere. With Yasho, the natural poles are all, we're all born with give way to a higher understanding, a greater goal, something that lasts. What once seems so important no longer has the same allure once you understand and have the mind of Messiah. Many of the problems are seen as vain and temporary. We can get through it. This will, this will pass away. This will go away eventually. And other people, they just can't handle it. That's the stuff of suicides. They, just, they, think they can't see beyond. They just don't have that vision to see that it's only temporary. Things will change. They always do. The tuned-in believers know what really matters. Look at the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. It's all to the good. What a difference 
life would be if we all lived with every one of these virtues all the time? Wouldn't that make a, a whale of a difference in our lives to have everyone having all of those qualities? Well, you can through Yahshua the Messiah and, and through the Yahweh Spirit. Now we read in verse 24, And they that are Messiahs have impaled the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us have the mind of Messiah. Let us not be desirous of vainglory. We're talking about power and prestige. Provoking one another, envying one another, and their possessions, by the way. Ironically, just as we can see the empty futility of worldly aspirations, the world sees spiritual aspirations aspirations the same way. They don't get it. They don't get it. 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of Elohim. They're foolish unto him. What are you talking about? The Bible? What, what good is that? They think it's foolishness. Neither can he know them, but they are because they are spiritually discerned. We're on different wavelengths, in other words, when you understand the truth. You see the futility of this life in its natural state. You see the glory of living for Yahweh and the peace of mind it brings. You know, they find that people uh, who are basically deep Bible believers, they have a peace. They don't have the struggles. They don't have the, the stress. Well, yeah, they have it occasionally, but they can get through it because they have a higher goal, a better vision, something beyond this problem they have. And they live longer. They live longer, by and large. To have the mind of Messiah is good all the way around. So it says, these are spiritually discerned, but he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of Yahweh that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Messiah. There it is. Having the mind of Messiah means the ability to see this life for what it is. For what it is. It's a passageway to something much better, not a destination point. Most people in the world, this is a destination point. They strive all their lives to gain and to advance and all of that. And at the end, where are they? Basically nowhere. They leave it all behind. When you have the mind of Messiah, you have a goal, and you're, you're storing up treasures in heaven or, you know, in the kingdom. So we understand the big picture and Yahweh's plan for the world. He will restore creation to the original intent that he had in the Garden of Eden, the original splendor, and provide salvation for repentant sinners. It means we share in Yasha's humility and obedience. It means we go back to the way he wanted man to be originally. But because man rejected him, we got to do it the hard way, instead of just having things automatically there in the garden. I want to read Philippians 2, uh, verse 5. where I think we find some valuable understanding. Let the mind be in you, 
this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yahshua, who being in the form of Elohim, thought it not robbery to be equal with Elohim, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the state. We have a central teaching here that's key to having the mind of Messiah is humility, to humble ourselves and not glorify, but to be willing to put ourselves last and put Yahweh first. That's, that's really... Uh, describes Yahshua. He had compassion, Matthew 9.36, and he depended on his father in Luke 5.16. I won't read those, but you can look them up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reveals some key traits of the mind of Messiah, so let's read. Verse 1, the mind of Messiah stands in sharp contrast to the wisdom of man. 1 Corinthians 2.5, that your face should not stand in in the wisdom of men, but the power of Elohim. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. You can be president of the world, and it's not going to matter. It's going to come to nothing if you don't have Yahweh. It means nothing in the scheme of things. That come to naught, he says, but we speak the wisdom of Elohim in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which Elohim ordained before the world unto our glory. You know, that explains why some just don't understand the Bible or the truth. and don't understand where we're at. They just don't. If you have ever felt as if you were talking to someone from another planet, when it came to the truth, this is the reason. This is the reason. We speak wisdom to them in a mystery because they're not there yet, or will ever be. Even the hidden wisdom which Elohim ordained from the world to our glory, before the world. The mind of Messiah cannot be understood by those that don't have the spirit. They can, you know, intellectually understand maybe, but they don't deeply understand because the spirit is not working in their minds. The mind of Messiah gives believers discernment in spiritual matters. I'd rather get some advice from a, from a spirit-led person on matters of the world than some philosopher out there. Because when you have the mind of Messiah, things are going to work. You can guarantee it. It gives believers discernment. Verse 15, But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Because you can't. You're down here. He's up here doesn't work trying to judge him or tell him what's what's true or not paul wrote in first corinthians 2 16 for who has known the mind of the master that he may instruct him but we have the mind of messiah and that is exactly what that implies the mind of messiah there's this expression you know, he has the mind to do that that means he understands and he can go with his understanding because He's got it. To have the mind of the culture is to think and act like the world does. And we've all had a belly full of that. We see the natural man in his selfish glory every day. People get upset because somebody 
did this and that to them, cut them off in traffic, and they, the rest of their day they're just completely flustered because they got cut off in traffic at 8 a.m. You know, so much of what we, we see in the world is so pitiful. It's just so ridiculous. And so nothing compared to what really matters. The natural man and his selfish glory is every day driven by greed and trivial pursuit that isn't going to last anyway. What's the point? Yahshua's perspective on life was what? To do and teach the will of his father because that's what lasts. Not what the world has, but what Yahweh has for those who are found worthy. You want his mind? Then go there too. Please, Yahweh, do what he teaches in his word. Watch your life change before your eyes. Yahshua knew the plan. Now his purpose was to get mankind in line with it. That's what he spent his life here on earth doing. Trying to teach Yahweh's ways to people so that they could be one day not just blessed here, but serving for an eternity in a kingdom, glorious kingdom. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Without him, it's all for nothing. It's all for nothing. And so he spent three years on this planet showing us how to live and respond to all kinds of situations in life. Trials, temptations, ignorance of people, and the unending rash of problems we face regularly. His ministry was hands-on training. Why do you think he asked 12 close men to come and follow him around every day? It would have been fascinating, wouldn't it, to be with him and watch him in action and see what he did in certain situations and see how he he shut the mouths of the knotheads who tried tried to discourage him and defeat him, to see him in compassion, healing people, encouraging them, and even just plain old feeding them. He had a concern for others that we can only aspire to. His ministry was something else. We never heard a man speak like this, they said. Not like the scribes who say, well, you know, the the old fathers say this, you know, or our traditions say that. No, he spoke with authority. He said, this is the way it is. Your father said this. This is the way it is. And they're just, whoa. (laughs) That's something else. And he didn't care if the Pharisees were standing over here, Sadducees were standing over there, ready to pounce on him. He didn't care. He gave it to them too because they should have known better. Serving in eternity. If we don't teach that essential part of the New Testament, we eviscerate Yahshua's biggest reason for coming. You've got to teach that. Peter understood it. 1 Peter 2.21, For even here unto were you called, because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who? Okay, what is the example? What, what, what is his example? Because he fed a few loaves and fishes to people? No. He said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, 
He didn't shoot back. He didn't fight them. He said, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. You hurt me, I'm going to get you. But committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's the mind of Messiah at work. Oh, it would have been great just watching him in action, wouldn't it? Man, people loved it. And it means it begins with humility. Because he had the big picture. He, he probably laughed to himself all the time. Oh, you poor people, you don't get it. You don't get it. These things don't matter. I'm not going to bother trying to get even with you. It doesn't matter. Paul understood it in Philippians 2.5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was in Messiah, who be in the form of Elohim, thought it not robbery, to be equal with Elohim, made himself of no reputation. He didn't strive to be like his father. There was no competition. There was no envy. There was no you know, jealousy or anything like that. He served his father. For what his father said, he would do. That's the mind of Messiah. Whatever the word says, we're to do. Don't fight it. Don't come up with excuses. Don't say, well, you know, I'd like to, but I'm just not able. You just do it. You just do it. Took himself uh, upon himself the form of a servant, and he made himself like a man. That was quite a move. Think about it. That right there shows the total love of Yahweh, that he would come down here on earth and dwell among them and teach them every day how to walk, how to live, how to love, how to have the compassion, how to have the strength of the truth in everything he did. Became obedient even unto death, even on the worst horrible death you could imagine. First, he had to be beaten, beaten within an inch of his life, and then he had to be killed in the worst way you could imagine. Along with humility is a compassionate heart. Matthew 9.36 shows Yahshua's compassion for the lost. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. You know, it, it really hurts when people call in and say, there's nobody out here. Isn't there somebody that believes like you folks? And we get a lot of this. Isn't there somebody I can meet with? I really need fellowship. I really need the strength of others. You really feel, yeah, I wish we could do something. We can offer, you know, what we offer online and so forth. But the best thing is to be able to meet with people. You don't realize how important it is until you can't do that. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. You remember when he raised Lazarus, Martha and Mary's brother? Remember that? He said, if, was it Martha that said, if you had come here, he wouldn't be dead? <laughs> well, Yahshua, did, Yahshua just wept with her. He wept with her. He wept with Mary and Martha, put his arms around them. And then what did he do? He raised him from the dead after four days. I bet she felt pretty, pretty bad about saying such things to him. I bet, bet that really, uh, whoa. I'll share a little story. When I was working my first job as a reporter, way out in western Kansas, way out in nowhere, and uh, 
Sorry about anybody out there listening from Western Kansas. You really are out there. Not in your Dodge City. Anyway, um, my dad was, was in, we were with a group, and my dad was called to go to a funeral in a town about 40 miles west of where I was. Well, he got near there, but the car gave out. We were driving this old, beat-up, I've forgotten what it was, just a junker of a car that the assembly had. He didn't have any money back then. So he was driving it, and the thing quit. I think it needed a jump or something. And I was supposed to, uh, well, if you're in Kansas, any hill is really a phenomenon, you know. So the town had a hill, and they, the kids loved to slide down that hill in the middle of the road. They would close off the street, and then the kids would slide down that hill. And that was a big deal in that little town I was in. <clears throat> and so anyway, uh, I was supposed to go out and interview the people uh, along that road to see what they thought if they would uh, not close off that street anymore. Uh, I think the, the editor was pushing for continued on because he had a lot of kids. Anyway, uh, I get a call from my dad saying, I'm out here nowhere, and I'm going to be late for this funeral. Any way you can get out here and give me a ride or give me a jump or something. So uh, the boss was gone, the editor was gone, and uh, I think I left him a note saying I had an emergency, I had to go. So I drove out there and got him back, got him, and he was late, but uh, anyway, he got it done. So I came back, it was on a Friday, I came back and, uh, you know, at the end of the day. So I came to work Monday morning, and he had a scathing note on my desk saying, you didn't interview these people, and I want that story today, and it's too late now, basically what he said. Well, in the meanwhile, I went up on Sunday, that Sunday, and interviewed everybody on the road. Got a beautiful story. And uh, while, he was, while I was reading the note, I'm sure he was reading my story. He probably felt pretty bad. I mean, I don't know why he just didn't approach me verbally, but face-to-face, but uh, there it was, and he thought I blew it. But, you know, Yahweh gave me this notion to do something we don't normally do and like working on a Sunday. But I did, and it worked out great. And so Yahweh does these things for us. He helps us in, in times where we need help. We need understanding. So, anyway, Yahshua raised Lazarus. From the dead, he showed compassion to his sisters, Mary and Martha, and everything was fine. And I'm sure Martha felt pretty bad about what she said. But that's, you know, that's us. That's what we do sometimes as human beings. We, we don't see the big picture. Yasha had that big picture all before him. He said, I can fix this. No big deal. But she thought it was the end, you know. And we would too. I mean, Dead is dead, you know, unless you're with Yahshua. We show the mind of Yahshua and we engage in lots of prayer. Yahshua was always, it seems, going up into a wilderness area, away from the people and praying to Yahweh, even before his death in the garden. Went up there, what, three times. Came back, disciples fall asleep. Went back up, prayed some more. Great, like great drops of blood, whether it really was blood or looked like it or... Uh, they say it's possible that you can be under that much stress. But uh, anyway, he was, just, he was just completely given over to Yahweh at that point, knowing what he's going to go through. But he had the mind to do this. He had the strength of spirit to do this. 
Often he will withdraw to commune with his father. We need to do that too. We need to do more of it. Praying to Yahweh for help and guidance. So in order to have the mind of Messiah, we must first have that spirit that he gives us at baptism. This comes with saving faith in Messiah. Romans 8, 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So if so be that the spirit of Elohim dwell in you, Now, if any man have not the spirit of Messiah, he is not of his. And if Messiah be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Messiah in you, the sinful things you do will not be there if he's really in you because you're overtaken by the spirit, by Yahshua's righteousness. But the spirit of, if the spirit of him that raised up Yahshua from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Messiah from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Isn't that great? He gives you a little portion in your life to help you, to guide you. And that grows and grows and grows until maturity. Yahshua comes back. He says he draws you by his spirit in the resurrection. So that spirit that you have that grew within you now becomes your salvation through Yahshua. It's really a, a wonderful plan. It's really a great, I mean, it's, it's phenomenal that Yahweh would do this for us. Is this world easy to live in? Not only for the worldly, but oftentimes it's difficult for us as well. It's not easy. Nobody's going to say it is. There's trials and Tribulations all the time, and it's getting worse. That's why we need more and more the mind of Messiah. With the mind of Yahshua, all these challenges become secondary, and they don't mean anything compared to the ultimate goal of finding salvation in the kingdom. And I pray that that is also our destiny, to get through this life flying colors, living for Yahshua, living the life of Yahshua, and one day pleasing Yahweh enough that he would raise us to everlasting life. May Yahweh bless you.